Father, we do thank you for the chance to be back in this pulpit and to share with people that we know and love. And we uh, thank you for this ministry. Thank you for Pastor Todd. Pray you'll be with him, Angela, and the family as they're spending quality time with her dad. We pray also for Pastor Dustin and his family as they're on vacation. And we also pray for us here today that we might learn more about you, that you're not only an everlasting God, but you're also a relational God. Father, we pray these things that we might draw closer to you today and this week. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As uh, Brian noted, the scripture passage is 1 John 1, 3. If you want to turn there. 1 John 1, 3. Now, it's, I put that in the bulletin because it's my jumping off point. But really, we're going to be in Genesis. Okay? But if you want to turn to 1 John 1, 3... I'm going to read from a version that you probably never heard of, and it's going to be a little bit different. No, no, no. It's going to be a lot different than your version in front of you, I'm sure. But 1 John 1, 3, uh, as you're turning there, I'm going to let you know that don't expect anything new today. What I'm going to be saying to you today is probably old stuff. You've heard it before, but I just want to remind you of some things and maybe put it in context and give a little bit of different perspective on it, maybe. But 1 John 1, 3... You can follow, try to follow along, but I'm going to read this in a paraphrase called God's Word Translation. Ever heard of it? God's Word Translation. In reality, it's not a translation. It is a paraphrase. Translation, as you know, is a word-for-word rendering of the Scripture. A paraphrase is a thought-for-thought. So this is one individual, maybe a group of individuals, but I like the way they translate the word for fellowship here. First John 1, 1 through 3. The Word of Life existed from the beginning. We know he's talking about Jesus Christ himself, one of the Godhead. We have heard it. We have seen it, because the apostles actually saw Christ. We observed and touched it. This life was revealed to us. God revealed his life to them through the, his son, Jesus. We have seen it, and we testify about it. We are reporting to you about this eternal life that was in the presence of the Father, and was revealed to us. Again, Jesus, presence of the Father, he's part of the Trinity. This is the life we have seen and heard. We are reporting about it to you also that you too can have a relationship with us. Our relationship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing this to you so that you can be completely filled with joy. He translates the word koinia, the Greek word koinia, as relationship. In your Bibles, it says fellowship. Thank you. Fellowship. And I like this translation. I wouldn't use it, uh, this paraphrase, because it's not literal to the word, uh, the original text. But I like this particular translation of the word koinia because it really fits what I'm trying to say today. We are in a relationship with a relational God. Notice the emphasis on on words like we heard, we have seen, we observed, we have touched, we seen, we testify. These are relationship words. When you talk with one another, you see them, you touch them, you relate with them. We're going to look in Genesis, and you can start turning there now, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to see in Genesis how God is a relational God. He's pictured as a human being, even in the Old Testament, as he interacts with mankind. 
Uh, this uh, sermon is based on my um, devotionals for this year. I got a new devotional journal uh, to start the year off with. And the first week, we're reading, we read Genesis 1 through 24. It's reading through the Bible in the year, so it's, it covers a lot of material. But uh, what, the different thing about this is that the author tries to focus in on one attribute of God each week. And the very first week of January, the focus is on God is a relational God. And so I thought I'd share with you what I looked at and what I saw in the first 24 verse, chapters of Genesis. So we're going to go verse by verse through chapters 1 through 24. We're not going verse by verse, folks. Okay. I already lost them. They're always painting. We're not going verse by verse through the first. We're going to skim through and just highlight some things. So get ready to be turning some pages here. I want to hear some pages turning as we look at God, a relational God. But before we do that, I want to ask a question. What kind of things do you do as you relate or have a relationship with your spouse or maybe some good friends? What are some of the things that you do in order to continue a good relationship with them? Yell it out. Communicate. Communicate. Spend, time Spend time with them. Pray, Pray with them. Pray for it. I'm sorry? Pray for it. Eat with them. Oh, okay, break bed. Thank you. Okay. Eat with them. Have fellowship over the meal. Yeah. What else? Play games. Play games. (laughs) If you're wondering why some of us laughing, you have to look at our Facebook post. Wild Friday night this past Friday. What else? Share problems. Share problems. Okay, good, good. Bear one another's burdens. Hug and kiss. Hug and kiss. Well, it depends how close your friendship is. Talk about old times. Talk about old times, reminiscing. All the old times we never shared together. Okay. Accountability. Accountability. Good. All right. The lots of others. Speaking, listening, or hearing. Interacting with one another. Spending time together. Showing concern and compassion. Showing love. Questioning or challenging them. We're going to see some of that in scripture today. Giving advice or direction to them. Nobody said this. Rebuking and correcting them. You do that with your spouse and friends, don't you? Well, if that spouse, you've got to be tread on careful ground there. But, you know, with friends, you rebuke and correct them. You come to an agreement on things. Okay? You might have to compromise and come to an agreement. You fill promises that you made to them. You help each other prosper. I like that word. Help each other prosper. You encourage one another. Sometimes you reward them when they are doing things right. Let me take you out for lunch because you did such a good job on whatever. You recognize and remember their accomplishments. Okay? You recognize and remember their accomplishments. Praise them for what they've done. You forget and forgive their wrongs. And you provide with each other. Some of you, most of you got a lot, most of those in there. So... Um, we're going to look at those type of things in New Testament, on the Old Testament and see how God does these things with us because he wants to have a relationship with us. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's talking, but he's saying, let us 
make man in our image? What, what, what? Why is he using the plural there? It's, it's him talking. Why is he using the plural? Trinity. The Trinity. Oh, that's right. I forgot. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, isn't there? So already, before he even made man, God is relational. He's talking to himself, but actually he's talking to the other two members of the Trinity. Okay? So God is already relational. From time past, for all eternity, he is a relational God. Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish, the sea, etc., etc. Verse 27. God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Part of God's image that's created in us is to be a relational person, to have relationships. When Adam was alone in the garden, what is one of the first things God noticed? He was alone in the garden, and it was not good. So he created Eve for him to be relational, to have a relationship. And what else did God do here in chapter 1? Well, I'm just going to skip down. You can follow a little bit if you want. Um, Verse 28, God blessed them, and God said to them, God talked to them, just like we said. A relationship includes speaking, interacting with one another. Verse 29, then God said, verse 31, God saw that it was very good. So God is relational as a triune God and as he makes and and interacts with man. Flip over to chapter 3, verse 8. And like I said, we're going to just kind of go faster here. We're not going to make a lot of commentation, uh, commentary on it, but we're going to just let the scriptures speak for themselves. I love this phrase, or this passage. 3.8, they heard, Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now this is after they had sinned, okay? But they haven't interacted with God since then. After they took the fruit of the forbidden tree, God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Verse 9, then the Lord God called the man and said to him, where are you? To me, this seems to be saying that it was natural, it was a daily event that God would walk in the Garden of Eden. But the fact that he was looking for uh, Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve were hiding themselves, that seems to tell me that maybe it's a regular thing that he was walking with them in the Garden. And one day he's there and they're not there. So God, his relational God, is he was having a daily interaction with Adam and Eve here. And when Adam and Eve sinned and hid themselves, God said, where are you? And they said, well, we heard you, and we were afraid because we're naked. God asked another question in verse 11. Who told you you were naked? And they said, well, this snake told us we're naked. And he said, have you eaten of the tree of the, which I have commanded you not to eat? Notice how God communicates here. Is he telling them anything right now? So far in this passage, all he's done is ask questions, Right? So sometimes in our relationship with each other, we question one another. We challenge one another. God is questioning Adam and Eve, and he's challenging them to fess up. Literally, fess up. Okay? Even uh, verse 13. God said to the woman, what is this you have done? So again, another question. How about over in uh, verse 17 of this chapter? A relational God rebukes and corrects. So relational God interacts with 
man. He speaks and listens. He asks questions. And a relational God rebukes and corrects. Verse 17. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. He's rebuking him for his sin. He's correcting him. And he's judging him. Verse 21. The Lord God made garments of sin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He rebukes, he corrects, he judges, but also he provides for our needs. So they were naked. Now they know good and evil. They realize they're naked. So God said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. I'll provide a covering for your nakedness. So God is a relationship God who interacts, speaks and listens, rebukes, corrects, but provides our needs. Flip over to chapter Genesis chapter 5. Just like we saw in the Garden of Eden where God was walking daily with Adam and Eve, we have this idea of God walking with somebody again in chapter 5, verse 22. Then Enoch walked with God. It may not have been a literal walking, but they use that word walk to describe his relationship with God. He walked with God. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. God took Enoch. He didn't see death. He was taken directly to God. That's how close that relationship was between Enoch and God. In verse, in chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, we, again, we see a relational God who rebukes, corrects, and judges. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great. Verse 6, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man. End of verse 7, I am sorry that I have made them. Sin became rampant. In the garden, after the Cain's first sin of murder, became rampant throughout the world. And God says, I'm sorry I made man. I think I'll just start over. God is judging, correcting mankind. But in the midst of all that judgment, he sends a flood. But in the midst of all that, verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God's relationship with Noah, he spoke to Noah, he commanded Noah, as we see in uh, verse 13a, then God said to Noah, the end of all the flesh has come before me, I am about to destroy them. Verse 14, make for yourself an ark. And so God, in the middle of his judgment, he finds somebody that has found favor with him. And he says, he provides for him, says, provide an ark, build an ark, I will save you from this judgment, because you are a righteous man. And throughout the time of telling Noah how to build the ark and everything, he gives them direction and advice. Just like we in our friendships will give direction and advice to our friends or our spouse, God is a relational God that gives direction and advice and man obeys. Look at verse 622. Thus Noah said, according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Look over at verse 5 real quick. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. So man's obeying the direction and advice God gives him. Now go back to seven, chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me. Again, he gives direction, advice, and he saves Noah and his family from the destruction. This idea of man obeying is also found in 7.16. God had commanded him to do this. 
and 24, the water, water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. Then chapter 8, verse 1. I really like this phrase. But God remembered Noah. He didn't send him off in the ark to float around for all these days. He remembered him. It's not like he forgot. He knew he was there. He remembered Noah. And now comes the salvation from the flood. The waters decrease. But God remembered. That's what we do in a relationship. We remember. We remember our friends. We remember our spouse. Remember their accomplishments. Praise them for them. Remember, you know, the wife of our youth. Uh, and we remember and we rejoice with our friends and family, our spouse. That's a relationship. Look at uh, Genesis 9, verse 1. A relational God keeps his promises. Actually, I'm sorry, 820. Look at 820. Then Noah built an ark to the Lord and offered burnt offerings. Excuse me. Noah built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings. Verse 21. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again. Later on in that verse, I will never again destroy every living thing. Chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I love the fact that God smells. Okay? Not that he, that he smells, but he smells. Just like us, he's relating to us. You know, God doesn't have a body like ours in heaven, but he, in order to relate to us so that we can understand him, he calls himself, or he describes himself as a, a human body. And the scripture says he smells. He talks. He walks in the garden. Okay? Um, some of those things might be pre-incarnate Christ, if you know what that means, walking in the garden with him. But, but he's described as a person, and he's a real person, just like you and me, so we can relate to him. He's a relational God. And he makes a promise here, I will never again destroy the earth with a flood. Now, he's going to destroy the earth later on, or change it, but he will never again destroy it. He'll keep that promise. But he encourages and provides and rewards Noah for being faithful and, and, and listening to everything that he commanded Chapter 9, verse 8. A relational God comes to an agreement or a covenant with man. In this case, Noah, but we'll see many other covenants throughout Old Testament that he has with Adam and David and others. So he's a relational God. He, God, he agrees with us. He comes to an agreement with us. And he keeps that agreement. He keeps his promise. 9, 8. God spoke. Verse 9. I myself do establish my covenant with you and your descendants, he says Noah. And then he repeats this word covenant several times. Verse 11, I establish my covenant. Verse 12, this is the sign of the covenant. Verse 13, I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant. The bow being the rainbow. And verse 15, he says once again, I will never, never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. Verse 16, when the bow, the rainbow, is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature. God comes to agreement with man over and over again. Now skip to chapter 11. You get any idea? God is relational. Let's look at a few more. The Tower of Babel, 11, 5 through 9. The Lord came down. Again, it comes down physically, I guess. And the Lord said, Behold, there are one people. They shall all have one language. They're all trying to build a tower to reach God. So God said again, 
the Trinity. He said, let us go down. So verse 8, so the Lord scattered them abroad from there all over the face of the earth. Whole earth. Verse 9, the end of it, the Lord scattered them abroad. So here again, judgment, um, rebuke, and yet maintaining a relationship uh, with the people. Chapter 12, we get into Abraham, a relational God interacts with making and keeping a promise to Abraham. Let me just read some words here in 12.1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country to the land which I shall show you. Verse 2, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. Make your name great. Verse 3, I will curse, I will bless you and I'll curse those that curse you. So the relationship with Adam, he's making a promise. He's, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. He keeps on encouraging Adam throughout, Abraham throughout these chapters. And I'm going to skip to chapter 15 for your sake. Chapter 15, still talking about Abraham. Verse 1, a relational God is recognizing and rewarding obedience and accomplishments. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. He's rewarding him, recognizing him and rewarding him for his obedience and accomplishment. Verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him. Verse 5, and he took him outside and said, verse 7, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldeas. Verse 9, so he said to him, God's talking, there's an interaction, there's a relationship, a really close relationship. In the scripture, especially the Old Testament, you see a lot of individuals that God knows are special, ones that really revere him, are obedient to him, and he has a special relationship to them. And most of them, he has a covenant with them. But even the lesser-known people, God has relationship with the lesser-known people in Scripture. Look at chapter 16. He shows love and compassion to, and he provides for Hagar. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She was an Egyptian, and her name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, well, let me skip down to uh, 4. So Sarai is rejected by her uh, mistress. And verse 4 says, God went to Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw, when Sarai saw that she, Hagar, had conceived, her mistress, Sarah, was was despised in her sight. She was despised in the sight of her mistress. So verse 6, so Sarai treated her harshly and Hagar fled from her parent presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her. Verse 9, then the angel of the Lord said to her, return. Verse 10, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that you shall be too many to count. And the angel of the Lord said to her further, idea here is the Lord blessed Hagar to have a child. And then when Sarah rejected Hagar, sent her out, God still watched over her, still had a relationship with her. He was a relational God to her. And he said, your son, Ishmael, will still be a great nation. Verse uh, 11. Behold, you are with child. You shall bear a son. He shall be called Ishmael because the Lord has been given heed to your affliction. So the Lord even is there for other lesser known people in the Bible, just as he is for us. Back to Abraham in chapter 17. A relational God interacting with and making promises to encourage and reward Abraham. The Lord appeared to Abram. I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between you and I will multiply you exceedingly. 
And again, verse 5, But I will make you a father of multitude of nations. 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations out of you. 7, I will establish my covenant. I will give to you all the land of Canaan, etc., etc., etc. Even Isaac and Jacob in 17, God promises them a a nation as well. So both sons of Abraham will become great nations. All right, I think it's time to finish up here. Let's look at chapter 24, the last chapter in my devotional. A relational God blesses not only Abraham, but his servant as well. Abraham is ready to find a bride for his son Isaac, and he sends out his trusted servant to go find him a bride. I love the terminology here. So again, let's just skip through a couple verses here. Uh, Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh. I will make you swear by the God, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live. But you shall go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. Placing your hand under a Someone's sigh is the Old Testament way of making a promise, swearing, okay? So let's see how successful he is. Let's jump over to verse 27. You know, I think most of you know the story. He finds a wife uh, from uh, Abraham's family, and then he describes them the story about how he found her. And this is what he says to uh, the family. He said in verse 27, He Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth towards my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brother. The Lord, verse 35, the Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich and he's giving him flocks, herds, etc., etc. And finally, look at verse 56. He said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. The Lord directed the servant, and he prospered his way. God is a relational God. He's willing to have a relationship with anybody, from people like Abraham to people like the servant to people like Hagar to people like me. He's a relational God. He wants a relationship. So what's involved in that relationship? Well, let me tell you first how he worked in our lives recently. As you know, all know, we've been gone for three and a half months now. We moved down to Pleasant View Retirement Communities. And the way, we're there a little early. We didn't expect to be down there this early at just, well, 68. 68, we just turned 68, October, December. But we first thought about what are we going to do when we retire? Years ago, we thought, what are we going to do when we retire? Because we don't have any children. Never had any children, so nobody to take care of us, you know. We can't build a uh, grandpa or what is it? The, what do you call the, the little addition for the grandma and grandpa? There's in-laws or whatever. There's a Dutch name, I think, but any, I can't hear you. Uh, anyway, the addition for us while the you know, kids are over here and they take care of us. We didn't have any kids. So we're thinking, what do we do? Well, Sharon grew up in a family where they lived and died in their homes. Almost every one of her relatives lived and died in a home. Not the one they were born in necessarily, but the one they, they grew, raised their kids in. So she's thinking, you know, uh, how many years ago? Uh, 11, 12 years ago, that when we moved to 67 Walden, Lebanon, Pennsylvania, the rancher, that that was our retirement home. 
We were going to die there. Me? Eh, not so much. I grew up where most of my family didn't stay in their home. My, my grandparents and my parents sold their home to, for a developer. They gave money they couldn't have, you know, so much they couldn't you know, pass up. And they moved to different places. And my grandma and grandpa on my mother's side went to a retirement center. And uh, mom and dad went to a retirement center. Dad had to go to a nursing home. So my upbringing, what I'm familiar with, my family was different. You know, we weren't opposed to going to a retirement place, okay? So even though we we're kind of at odds, two and a half years ago, we said, well, let's just be on the safe side. Let's apply to Pleasant View because it's a continuing care community. Once we get too old to live in a cottage or the duplex, we can move into the assisted living, et cetera, et cetera. So we were kind of divided, but she allowed me to put down a deposit, knowing it was refundable. <laughs> but then over the last two and a half years, those two and a half years, she got to the point where, yeah, I guess it is a little bit too much. The, the house is a little bit too much for us. Um, there's really three things that kind of God brought into her life to tell us it's time to move. I know you think it's early, but it's the time to move. First of all, we weren't getting any younger. Okay, some of you know that feeling, right? You're not getting any younger. Climbing that ladder, cleaning out the gutters was not getting easier for me. It was getting harder. I think a few, a few years ago, Pastor Todd put something on Facebook about these are not Christmas lights, and he showed the ones that you shine up against the wall. You know, <laughs> He says, these are Christmas lights where you have to put them up with the gutter all around the house, you know, a Griswold thing. You know, that's Christmas lights. And I told him back then, I think I was only 66 then, I said, well, for a 66-year-old who shouldn't be climbing a ladder up and down six or seven times, uh, these are Christmas lights. And I had the little bulbs that shined up uh, there and twinkled and everything. So I told him, those are okay for when you get past 65, okay? So we weren't getting any younger. We weren't able to keep up the house. The mowing, the yard work, the landscaping, the, uh, you know, everything else that needed to go up. Snow blowing. I, I like the snow blow, but just don't do it as fast as I used to. So we weren't getting younger, that's for sure. Eventually, we we're going to have to pay for somebody to do all that. The second thing is the house and appliances weren't getting any younger either. Okay? <laughs> um, there was a few things going wrong that needed to be corrected. We had to get a new HVAC in our house, which is a lot of money and, and all this stuff. And the appliances, uh, after we actually signed the contract for the house, but before with the closing date, our dryer went out. It couldn't wait two more weeks, okay? And the buyer said, no, we want that dryer. We're not, you know, it was on part of the contract, so we had to go out and buy a new dryer that we could use for two weeks you know, before somebody else took over. So anyway, the house wasn't getting younger. The appliances weren't getting younger. And then the housing market. We were still on the other end of the bubble. It was coming down, but it was still pretty good, and we did get a good deal for a house. So those three things was God speaking to us. Now, in the Old Testament, he spoke mostly through individuals, in the Pentateuch especially, Later on, he spoke to the masses through prophets. But in the church age, he spoke through the church and the Holy Spirit. And so today, you know, God doesn't speak to us audibly. He didn't come down and say, well, here's the three things, Dale. No, he just, through the Holy Spirit's conviction and through the circumstances, these three circumstances, he was saying, you might want to consider moving now. So when we first applied for the house or the cottage on Pleasant, at Pleasant View in Mannheim, um, the marketing director said, well, you know, it's going to be five to ten years before one opens up. So, oh, that's perfect. We don't want to move till we're in the mid-70s anyway. Well, then these three things happen, and we said, well, you know, we told you there's our top three choices. Well, we're ready to see anything. God's directing us. We'll, we'll see anything you have available. 
Because God says, let's get, out, get you out of here. So we contacted her. She didn't contact us. We contacted her and said, you know, we're ready to move sooner than we thought. What do you have available at all? And she said back, came back and said, well, it just so happens, i.e., God thing, uh, it just so happens that uh, we have two cottages open, including one on your top three list. Well, after we had told her our first, second, third choice, we had visited several times. We were going down at a PV fit, the fitness center, as senior citizens, we could go there. And uh, the one that we thought was our second was now our number one, and that was the one that was open. Our number one choice was open and available to us. Praise God, answered prayer. But, she said, I've been calling people already, and you're still, there's still 15 people ahead of you on the list. Okay, so God must not be leading us. We prayed about it, but we thought, there's no way 15 people are going to pass up on this perfect, a view is beautiful. If you didn't see our pictures on Facebook, you've got to see the view. We've got the best view on campus. Everybody says that. But 15 people ahead of us, so there's no way we're going to get that place. So I guess we have to stick around here. God wasn't talking to us, I guess. Wasn't the Holy Spirit, must have been our own thoughts. But we prayed about it. Fifteen people and seven weeks later, the marketing director emailed and says, meet me at 526 West Willow, our very first choice. Fifteen people passed on it ahead of us. Seven weeks it took. So we thought, well, I'm not really sure if this is really God. We might have to pray about it some more. No, it was God. It was a God thing, right? Right? You agree? Amen? All right. We firmly believe all these things falling in place, and then having our number one choice available when we needed, wanted to move was a God thing. So back to your handout a little bit. Oh, no, never mind. You don't have the handout. <laughs> Long story. So God is a relational God, but there's some things that interfere sometimes with a relationship with God, right? What are those things called? Sin. Distraction is one of them, but sin overall. And there's two types of sins. Anybody know the two types of sins? General types. What is this? Omission and commission. Okay, good. Omission or commission are the ones that sins we commit. We're familiar with those. We do something wrong. We com- we we uh, lie. We cheat. We steal. We deceive. Whatever things that we do. They're sins of commission. Committing, commission. But the sins of omission are the things that we don't do. Okay, omission. And I want to talk about the sins of omission. The things that you all shared earlier about what does a relationship take, if we don't do those with God, those are sins of omission. For instance, if we don't speak with God in a relationship, that's a sin of omission. We should be speaking with him. What do we sometimes call that? Speaking to God? Prayer, Prayer, right. And then, if we don't listen to him and his word, or even the conviction of the Holy Spirit, when we know it's the Holy Spirit, what is that called? We are not listening, we're not reading our Bibles. God reveals his word to us through our through the scripture, right? So if we're not reading and studying his word to find out his will for our life, we're committing the sin of omission. If we're not interacting with him, we're not applying the word, we're not allowing the Holy Spirit, 
We're grieving the Holy Spirit. We're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. That's a sin of omission. If we're not showing love to him, if we're not obeying him, adoring him, serving him, or giving back to his work, we're committing a sin of not loving him, not showing our love. Even questioning or challenging. If we refuse to listen to God and his challenges, when he questions us, he challenges us, then uh, it's a sin of omission. Coming to agreement, if we don't accept his guidance, then it's a sin of omission. If we don't recognize and remember him, it's a sin of not praise and worshiping him. So these are things that we need to have in our lives with God in order to have a relationship with him, just like Abraham had a relationship with him. And Adam and Eve, Hagar, the servant of Adam, Abraham, we need to have a relationship with God. And what we need to do, first of all, is make sure that our sins, whether omission or commission, have been paid for. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ's payment on the cross for your sins, then you have to take that first step. There's an illustration I learned in, in Bible college, and I'm not sure if... I, I've, I've used it before, I know, here in, in this church, but uh, I'm going to try it again. Let this hand represent God, a perfect, sinless God. Let this hand represent you and me, okay? Let this wallet represent sin, whether sins of omission or commission. We've all sinned, Scripture says. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of the perfection of God. What's this hand again? I messed up. What is this again? No, it's my hand. It represents God. You didn't remember that from the last time I did this? Okay. It's, it's God. This is us, but we have sin on us, right? Uh, turn to 2 Corinthians 5.29, I think. Here. No, 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Turn there for me, please. I hear some rustling. But God loved us. John 3.16, God says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, what does that mean, he gave his only begotten son? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 kind of elaborates on that. He, verse 21, he, God, who knew no sin, there's no sin on him, right? He made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus Christ, made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. God came down, lived a sinless life. He made the payment on the cross for that sin. He takes the cross upon himself so that we might have the righteousness of God in him. When our sin is gone, we're as perfect as God, aren't we? Not day to day, but in God's eyes. That sin has been paid for and done away with. Unfortunately, we still sin. God didn't take away the sinful nature. He paid for it, but he didn't take away the sin. Why not? Because he wanted a relationship with us. Not just as father and son, but an interaction, a relational time with us. He wanted to do all those things that we just read in Genesis, and he wanted to do it with us. So first, what we have to do is if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, if you haven't 
acknowledge that you're a sinner and you need that sin paid for, you need to do that. And if you have any questions at all, come see me afterwards, any of the deacons, if you know the deacons or elders, either one, come see us to learn more about that. But even as Christians, we still sin, don't we? Anybody sinless in here? No, I don't think so. Okay. So, in order to maintain that relationship, we need to take care of that sin. We need to work on removing those sins from our lives. And as Christians, we can do what 1 John 1.9 says. We can confess our sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So day to day, as we sin against God, we realize, God, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Or I'm sorry, I should have done this for you. We confess that. And he's faithful in forgiving those sins. So they're paid for already when we trust Christ as Savior. But to keep that relationship going, we need to have our sins forgiven faithfully, right? Just like when your relationship with your spouse or your friend, when you injure that person, when you say something bad about them, or you get mad at them, you have to go back and say, confess your sins. Say, I'm sorry, you don't know this, but I bad-mouthed you to so-and-so, and I apologize for that. I shouldn't have done that. Or, I'm sorry, I wasn't there to pick you up on time like I promised. I didn't keep my promise. I'm sorry about that. Will you forgive me? Just like you do that with your friends and your spouse, you do that with God to maintain that relationship with him. And so, whether it's through your lacking in prayer life, you're lacking in your study of the word, you're lacking in applying the scriptures, where you're, la- you're lacking in adoring him, worshiping, or any of these things, get that right with him. Confess those to him. And he is faithful and just to forgive you. Your homework. This week, think about all these things we, were, we looked at, these relationship aspects that either make or break a relationship. Jot down in your journal if you keep one or start one. But jot down somewhere. This is, these are the areas where I really need to work on my relationship with God. I don't pray enough. I'm going to establish a prayer time to pray with, to God. I don't study the word enough. I don't have devotions. I'm going to work on that. I don't worship him enough. I don't praise him for what he's done for me. I'm going to work on that. And how specifically will you work on that? So this week, write that down and make some kind of plan. Don't try to do all at once. You know, if you're like me, you've got to, you start making a list, you've got 10 things to start on. No, no, just, just pick the one thing that you really, really, really need to work on most and work on one at a time. And that will strengthen your relationship with him. You'll feel his presence more. You'll feel him talking to you in circumstances or through the Holy Spirit. And then you can be closer and feel more in tune with his spirit. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for being a relational God who wants to have a personal relationship with us. Please help us to identify the sins in our lives which are interfering with that relationship with you. May we strive to want to speak with you, listen to you, spend time with you, and interact with you. May we appreciate the concern and compassion and love you show us. May we be open to your advice your direction, as well as your rebukes and correction. Thank you for fulfilling our promises to us, helping us to prosper, and for being encouraging 
and rewarding. May we draw closer to you starting today and this week. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.